Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Yukon Internal Medicine Podcast. This is your host, Rob Harmon, one of the chief medicine residents here at Yukon, and today we will be continuing our ambulatory series with the topic of benign prostate hyperplasia and the occasional lower urinary tract symptoms that can be associated. Before we get into the content, though, a quick disclaimer. All opinions and views expressed in our podcast are entirely the responsibility of the authors and do not represent the opinions of anyone else in the Yukon Department of Medicine. The content presented is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. So as I mentioned, today we're going to be talking about benign prostate hyperplasia, which we will subsequently refer to as BPH for the remainder of this recording. BPH is a histological diagnosis, actually, meaning we would need to collect a tissue specimen and examine it under a microscope to identify it. It's a proliferation of glandular, epithelial tissue, smooth muscle, and connective tissue within the prostatic transition zone. Based on worldwide autopsy data that we have, we begin to see BPH prevalence start to tick up in the fourth decade of life, with nearly 60% of men at age 60 and 80% of men at age 80 with diagnosed BPH. On the other hand, lower urinary tract symptoms, or LUTs, is a bit nonspecific and more of a clinical diagnosis. It can come up in the form of storage, voiding, or post-micturition symptoms, for example, varying degree of urinary frequency, nocturia, difficulty initiating urination, urinating with a weak stream, and feelings of incomplete bladder emptying can clue us into a possible diagnosis of LUTs. If left untreated, these symptoms can progress, and so it is often a gradual process. I think that there are likely many providers in medicine that will often interchange BPH and LUTs. However, it's important to understand that many men will undergo hyperplasia of the prostate without ever experiencing LUTs, or at least symptoms that will prompt them to seek treatment. In this way, BPH, when LUTs is present, has become much more of a clinical diagnosis on the basis of symptoms, which we can presume is related to the hyperplasia. Not all men with BPH alone need therapy. But when LUTs develops, we then start to consider intervention. An additional important distinction here is that not all men with LUTs have BPH. And even if BPH is present, it doesn't mean that the hyperplasia is what is leading to the lower urinary tract symptoms. As we get further into the lecture, we'll target key areas of history and data collection that can help us distinguish between BPH with LUTs and conditions that could potentially be more consequential if left untreated or may need additional testing. What are key questions to ask when evaluating someone with LUTs? How would you then assess the severity of symptoms and the effect they are having on a person's life? Are there any physical exam findings you should look for as a provider? As previously discussed, LUTs can present in the form of storage, voiding, or post-micturition symptoms. Symptoms can be isolated, or there can be an overlap, depending on severity. Importantly, LUTs can be the presenting symptom of someone with BPH, or it can be the presenting symptom of a host of other conditions or the consequence of a lifestyle choice which could be fixed with education. For this reason, it's important to elicit a history targeting specific questions and content in order to determine the best course of treatment or guidance. Various factors can mimic or exacerbate BPH and or LUTs symptoms. Some of the medical conditions that you may want to think about are obstructive sleep apnea and congestive heart failure, which can worsen nocturia, uncontrolled diabetes, which can lead to polyuria, neurogenic bladder from conditions like Parkinson's disease or spinal cord injury, urethral stricture resulting from trauma or urological procedures, among many others. 
We should also be inquiring about risk factors that may be modifiable. Things like excessive nighttime fluid intake or consumption of bladder irritants such as caffeine, alcohol, or spicy foods. And lastly, constipation. Medications are also important. Is the patient on a diuretic, which is causing urinary frequency? Are they taking antihistamines or anticholinergic medications, which could ultimately lead to impaired bladder detrusor muscle function? Are they taking decongestants or sympathomimetics, leading to bladder outlet obstruction? Opiates can also impair autonomic function. There's a lot of things that are important to know in our patients in order to determine what exactly is going on and if, in fact, we are dealing with BPH and or LUTs. So a very careful history and physical exam is important as we consider our list of differential diagnoses. As we're evaluating our patient, we should also consider utilizing tools like the International Prostate Symptom Score for a formal symptom inventory. This score helps objectively assess and monitor the severity of symptoms, categorizing them as mild, moderate, or severe. Regarding the physical exam, guidelines may vary, but a focused exam, considering elements like suprapubic area, genital area, perineum, and lower limbs, aids in excluding other various conditions. In the office, we may also have the ability to run a urinalysis to check for hematuria, pyuria, glucosuria, which are also crucial for evaluating non-BPH etiologies of symptoms. Okay, so we've taken our history and we've performed our physical exam. Now let's address the role of PSA testing. It's unnecessary in the evaluation of LUTs as there's no association between LUTs and prostate cancer. The decision to check PSA should be made through shared decision-making aligning with standard screening practices. Now that we've covered that, let's move on to management. The 2021 AUA guidelines advocate for behavioral modification and or medication as first-line approaches. Lifestyle changes, pelvic floor exercises, and self-management strategies can significantly impact symptom reduction. In terms of medical options, alpha blockers, 5-alpha reductase inhibitors, phosphodiesterase inhibitors, anticholinergic agents, and beta-3 beta agonists play crucial roles. Each class has its unique characteristics, efficacy, and potential side effects. Let's consider each of them individually. Selective alpha-1 blockers like tamsulosin primarily target smooth muscle in the prostate and bladder neck. By relaxing these muscles, they alleviate bladder outlet obstruction, providing rapid relief within 48 hours. Nonspecific alpha blockers like terazosin and doxazosin can have a larger effect on blood pressure, necessitating cautious titration. Alpha blockers are often considered first line for bothersome LUTs, especially when quick symptom relief is paramount. Selective alpha-1 blockers may be preferable in patients with concerns about blood pressure changes or retrograde ejaculation. 5-alpha reductase inhibitors like finasteride and deuteroside inhibit the conversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone, leading to a reduction in prostate volume and alleviating bladder outlet obstruction over time. These inhibitors are particularly effective in patients with large prostates. Consider them when LUTs or BPH is associated with prostate volume of greater than 30 cc's, PSA greater than 1.5 nanograms per deciliter, or palpable prostate enlargement on digital rectal exam. However, it is important to note that the onset of action for these medications is quite long and can take 6 to 12 months to reach maximum effect. Let's now consider the phosphodiesterase inhibitors, such as tadalafil. When used at a dose of 5 mg per day, it's FDA-approved for LUTs and BPH. It works by improving blood flow and relaxing smooth muscles in the prostate and bladder, addressing both urinary symptoms and erectile dysfunction. 
Tadalafil can be an excellent option for patients presenting with both LUTs and erectile dysfunction. Anticholinergic agents such as tolteridine or oxybutynin inhibit muscarinic receptors in the bladder wall, reducing involuntary detrusor contractions caused by bladder outlet obstruction. These types of medications might be beneficial in combination with an alpha blocker for patients with predominant storage or irritative LUTs. However, they should be used cautiously, especially in the elderly, considering potential adverse effects on cognitive function. Lastly, let's talk about beta agonists, such as mirabegron. Specific agonists of the beta-3 adrenoreceptor relax the bladder detrusor muscle, increasing bladder capacity and reducing incontinence episodes. We would choose these medications when anticholinergics are not well tolerated, especially in patients with concerns about cognitive function or in those with contraindications to anticholinergic use. For the medications, in summary, the choice of treatment depends on various factors, including the patient's symptoms, prostate size, comorbidities, and preferences. A personalized, patient-centered approach incorporating shared decision-making is essential for optimal outcomes. Overall, as we're managing these patients, the AUA guidelines recommend urology referral in specific cases, including renal insufficiency, refractory urinary retention, recurrent infections or stones, gross hematuria, and LUTs, refractory to other therapies. As indicated earlier in the talk, this is a highly prevalent disease process, especially in our aging population. It's important to know what other sort of conditions mimic BPH and LUTs, and what sort of workup we should and should not complete in patients with whom we have a high suspicion of BPH or LUTs. There are a lot of considerations when it comes to medication regimens. However, after a quick review, we hope that you feel a little bit more comfortable developing these management plans with your patients. That's all we have for today. Thank you for listening. Until next time.